Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders, a podcast where people connected to autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, I'm your host, Rachel Harmon, a professional with over a decade of experience in the field of autism services, outreach, and advocacy. Have you ever tried to look for autism services and found the process long, stressful, or confusing? If you're the parent of a child with autism, you've probably found that the path to available resources is often far from clear. However, professionals like today's guest, Katherine Peterson, are committed to making this journey easier. Katherine is a board-certified behavior analyst and the founder of Two Steps Forward Consulting, a company offering early intervention coaching to help parents navigate the system. In this conversation, among other things, we discuss why Catherine decided to start her consulting company, what the autism diagnosis process typically looks like for parents, from recognizing early signs in their children to receiving services, common struggles parents face within the system, how parents can collaborate in setting and prioritizing goals, and what to look for in a service provider. In this episode, discover what's possible when someone holds your hand. And now, I present you Catherine Peterson. My name is Catherine. I am a board-certified behavior analyst. In the past, I've worked in ABA programs, mostly in home and in clinic settings. I've been a BCBA since 2013, so worked at a few different agencies. I've been in some school settings, but not in a formal setting. And most recently, I was working as the senior site manager for a local clinic. I'm in San Diego. And so I oversaw the ABA programs at two of our local sites and just kind of helped manage those programs. And then I just recently left that position in November of last year and decided to start my own agency. So I have started an agency for early intervention coaching and helping parents navigate the system and just learning all about all the different resources out there and how are you eligible for school and what are the different therapy options and just kind of helping hold hands for parents because I realized that there's really no one that's doing that for them. Hmm. Okay, great. And sometimes it can be really scary, right? To just Mm -hmm. take the leap and just go and break off and do your own thing. So Congratulations. You finally did it. You've taken action. Thank you. (laughs) But what was it that finally had you just go for it? Was there like a pivotal moment? There was. This is something I, I really have been thinking of for quite some time. And I am an independent self starter. I think for me, I knew I wanted something a little bit different than the typical in home. ABA programs, I had been trying to decide exactly what that would look like. And for a while, I was thinking, oh, people don't do it in the ABA world. Like, I see speech therapists doing it and occupational therapists doing it, but I don't really see BCBAs doing it. And so I thought, okay, maybe not. And then the more I thought about it, If people aren't doing it, that means maybe there's a need for it and maybe there is a a space for it. 
when you're working in the ABA space and the home program space, I feel like you hear of all these different private practice, speech, and OT places. And what I wasn't ever hearing about was independent BCBAs, which I've learned is less common, but still pretty common. Okay. <laughs> and people are, are finding different spaces to take ABA and, and expand it outside of what is more of the traditional route. Okay. Got it. So you said that you were noticing a need for more parent resources. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. When I was working in really the director role, I was getting parents as they were coming on board to ABA. And so what I was really seeing was I would talk to parents when they came in. They weren't assigned to a case supervisor yet. And I would talk to parents who really sometimes were, were quite lost. You know, they would come to ABA and truthfully, some of them would say, I don't even know what ABA is, but I'm, I'm just signed up because I was told that I need to do it. Or I would meet families and they would be really stressed out by the time they came to us and saying, it's been such a long year. I waited for a diagnosis for months. I got a diagnosis. Now I'm on other wait lists. I don't know what's the difference in ABA and OT or, oh, I don't think I need ABA because my kid doesn't have really tough behaviors. And it's just a lot of misconceptions and really just a lack of education and understanding of what are the different services that are available to your kid. And so, you know, going back a little bit, as I was saying, I was thinking of what could I do with my with myself, you know, that's a little bit different. And I, I feel like over the last year, especially for me, I was meeting so many families in that role that were getting there saying, my kid's two and a half or my child's three years old and I got a diagnosis and then I didn't know what to do. And if I say to them, oh, did you look at the school system? Oh, no, he's not in kindergarten yet. And, you know, in America, you can put your kid in school starting at three if they qualify for special education services. And what I realized is nobody really sits down and talks to these families about what is autism? What will this look like for you? What is your roadmap for services? And parents are just trying to figure it all out themselves. They're just spending hours and hours on Google and searching for things and trying to make sense of the alphabet soup that is all the acronyms of every therapy and every person who's a clinician and has acronyms and just trying to sort out what is going to work for them and for their child. And so for me, in a span of about one month, I had three different families that I had spoken to, where in all three of those, it was the mom that I talked to. And she's in tears talking to me about how long of a process it's been, how stressful of a process it's been, and truthfully, how confusing the process has been for them. And just wanting to ask questions, what is this? How do I pick this? What even does autism really mean for my child? And then the biggest thing, too, is parents saying, I had to wait so long for services, 
And I was reading about early intervention being such an important factor, and I couldn't even get my kid the help that they need. And so for me, I was thinking, okay, this is crazy, you know, how they don't have that support. Maybe they get a packet when they get a diagnosis, but no one really sits down and explains everything to them and how the different systems can work together. And then also, along with that, giving families actionable tools that they can do at home to start their child's learning right then. You don't have to wait your waitlist time for services to be able to work with your child and to practice some of these skills at home. I wanted parents to feel empowered that they can take some control of this while they're waiting for things and they're not just in this holding cell. Mm, Yeah, that's so important for these families who are really in such a vulnerable stage, like just maybe just receiving the diagnosis, maybe still processing and accepting that for their children or for their child. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, just being a bit lost. I mean, I can't even imagine what that must be like for them. Yeah. And it's really hard to listen to families talk about how hard the process has been, because I think as clinicians, we are so focused on our therapy. So I'm so focused on ABA and then OT is thinking about, you know, by the time the family comes to them and is ready to start OT. And I think what we can sometimes miss just in our day-to-day is the overall experience of a family. And that all of these therapies, we don't really work in silos, you know, we think of our own therapy and a family is trying to navigate it all. And so why should you sign up for more than one therapy? Or when you research things and you see strong opinions about everything, strong opinions for different therapies, against different therapies, how are families supposed to look through that and navigate and pull out what values matter for them and for their family? And I think it's just such a hard place for parents to be in. And it's just they need someone or would really benefit from someone just that they can trust who helps hold their hand and just explain all of this to them in that way that the family has to take it in. So in that connected way where it's not going to ABA and hearing this is everything ABA does and going to speech and this is everything speech does because families can't see it all in these different lanes. They have to have it interconnected for their lives. Mm, Right. Okay. So when do families usually find you then? Like, is it when they've been waitlisted? When do you come into the picture? Ideally, I am working with families who expect a diagnosis or have just recently received a diagnosis. So a lot of times families will start to see some concerns with their child's development and they might be wanting to wait a little bit. Maybe it's just a small delay for one milestone. At that point, you know, I think what I offer is a little bit further down the road. So once you're thinking, okay, and and this, this is what I've heard from so many different parents is, well, I knew it was autism before we got the diagnosis. And I think around that time is where I can really help support families between 
their gut feeling being that their child will have an autism or some neurodiversity diagnosis through, we've just received this diagnosis and we're trying to figure out what now, you know, there's Mm. so much that builds up to the diagnosis and then you get it. And then, then what, you Mm -hmm. know, that's not the end of the road. That's really the beginning of the road, but the road is just confusing. And so that's where I'd like to come in and, and help just explain what road options you can take and what will that look like. Yeah. Okay. So what typically happens now for families after they receive a diagnosis? Like, is it the doctor or pediatrician or whoever's giving the diagnosis that tells them, okay, these are your options? Yeah. So here in America, people will get a diagnosis typically from a developmental pediatrician or a psychologist. And once they receive that diagnosis, they are referred to therapies. But I don't think that the referring provider typically has the ability or time to explain them. So I have families who will come and say, I signed up for ABA because the doctor who diagnosed my son told me to. What do you do? And so they're being told, they're given resources, they're given typically a packet or a toolkit that they can use, but it's just really overwhelming. And typically when they're given it, it's the day they receive an autism diagnosis and as you may know from experience where you have a very overwhelming moment, you don't really retain information that is explained to you immediately after that. Your brain's kind of in that fight or flight, not really retaining that information that would help you moving forward. Hmm. And so they will receive that information. Here in California, they will be referred to the regional center, which is local state-level resources for families. And the regional centers do a pretty good job trying to explain some of it. And that, again, is a California-specific thing. Every state in the U.S. will have some system similar, but it will vary a little bit of what that is. But that's typically what is happening for families now. And then from what I've learned, it's then up to Google and parents sitting for hours trying to navigate, what is this? What should I do? What to do with my son with autism? And looking into all of that information on their own and trying to really weed through what is relevant, what do I trust, and trying to make decisions without that analysis paralysis of what steps should I take next. Mm, Okay, got it. So how do you guide parents usually at that point to kind of prioritize what's important for them? You know, I think this is something that there's not an exact roadmap that I use with families. I think just like I would do with clients I worked with, with ABA programs, it's meeting them where they are and trying to take the next steps forward. So for them, if they're coming to me and they just got the diagnosis and they're just overwhelmed and in that space of 
I don't know what my future looks like and kind of mourning that future that they thought that their child was going to have. I would really start with just trying to help them understand more about autism. So what is it? What does that look like? And then a lot of that self-care piece for families. And by self-care, I mean realistic self-care. So I'm not suggesting parents go get massages or take Mm -hmm. a vacation, but even just little things like finding small pockets in the day that they can take five minutes to sit down and have a warm cup of coffee or practicing grace with themselves that they can't solve every problem in the next 48 hours and that it's okay that they sleep and that they don't spend all night on Google trying to find these answers. And so I think for those families, that's really where we're starting it. For other families, they might come to me, they're more familiar with the diagnosis and they just want to learn about what are their options. So let me explain to you what these different therapies are. If your child is two, close to two and a half, and you're going to be eligible for school potentially at the age of three, let me really help explain to you what are your educational rights and what is an IEP and what goes into that and just helping parents feel empowered to understand that information. So I really think of my services as kind of two-prong, one being just education on everything that they will need to learn. So the different therapies, the school options, autism, all of that. And then the other prong being the action steps that they can take. So here's how you can vet a strong ABA provider. Here's how you can feel prepared going into this IEP meeting. And so I really like to give the support in two ways. Is is that education on on everything and then that support of, okay, here's what you do with that knowledge now. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so helpful. Hey there, Rachel here. Do you know anyone else who might benefit from this episode? For instance, a parent in the early stages of receiving an autism diagnosis for their child. If you'd like to support them, you can share this episode directly when you're done listening. But for now, back to the conversation. Can you offer some practical tips right now for parents? Like, even with that example you said about what to look for in a practitioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was working on on a document for this for families that I work with. But I think one thing that parents should be looking for is companies with ABA that are really client-centered. And so to me, I think one of the biggest things is how are they involving parents in their practice? And, you know, if insurance is funding your ABA, there's a requirement for parent trainings and parent consultations, but I think it has to be from the very start. And it's really that social significance of what stresses you out the most and what would make a huge difference in your family's life. I know that when I was mentoring BCBAs, I would teach them, you know, I like to ask families in six months, what would it look like for you to think that the time commitment and financial commitment of ABA was worth it? 
What are the the little things that you will think that makes such a difference in my day-to-day life? Because we don't, we don't know that, you know, I can go in with my clinical eye and tell you where I think I can make change and where, what skills I can work with your child on. But maybe mealtime is what would make a huge difference in your life, that your child will sit with the family and partake in a family meal. And I wouldn't necessarily know that that's the biggest priority for the family or the opposite. Maybe I think something's a great idea and the family says, you know, that's not something that bothers us or something that really changes our family dynamic. This is something. So my biggest takeaway for families finding ABA providers or really any, I would say, therapy provider is how are parents involved in the development of the goals and the treatment plans? And if a provider is not able to really explain that, I would say that that's something to just be cautious of because providers are the experts in their therapy and parents are the expert in their family and in their child. And we have to take both parts into account or we're doing a huge disservice to that child. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. Another one you were talking about was preparing parents for an IEP, right? Mm -hmm. What are some things that you discuss with them in that process? Sure. So an IEP or an individualized education plan can be super overwhelming for families Because you have to learn what are the educational laws that support children with autism or with other diagnoses and how they can access education. So for me, I've gone to so many IEPs with families where they don't necessarily understand what their rights are and just even what the process is. So when I work with families who are just learning to navigate this, my first step is let me just explain the law to you so you have an understanding of when kids can be eligible for school, how they are eligible, there's certain criteria that they are deemed eligible under, and what is the process for that assessment. So for example, If someone is going to be eligible for school for special education, they are able to start on their third birthday. However, they have this whole process to get an assessment done prior to that. So my recommendation is that families contact school districts around two and a half years old. That's a little early, but it starts the process of reaching out to the school district, saying, hey, my kid has an autism diagnosis. It's a medical diagnosis. I want an assessment to see if they're educate or eligible for an educational diagnosis, which qualifies them to begin school. And there's really strict timelines that the school districts legally have to follow. And so giving them that extra time when they're about two and a half a little over two and a half, gives them the ability to conduct it where if they choose to pursue that school system, they can do it as of that child's third birthday. So that's a big tip that I have. 
And then before the meetings too, I just try to explain how it works. IEPs are pretty much all the same general template and it might look a little bit different, but they all will do these intense assessments. They do lots of different ones. It's hard to understand all of them. It's bell curves and standard deviation and a lot of numbers. And so I try to give a little crash course in statistics and what that looks like. But then the knowledge too of standardized assessments are not who your child is. And the school district has to do this because they have to have standards for how they qualify or don't qualify children for special education, but trying to work with parents to not get hung up in those standard deviations and in the tests, because that's not who their child is. Their child is that kid in the other room playing with trains right now. And let me think through this with you where you understand why the school is talking about it, but you're not getting stuck in it. And then even just the process for how they determine a classroom setting and what is a free and appropriate public education, which is what every kid has the right to. Um, So just education on what it looks like and then tips to say to them, you are a part of your child's IEP team. You know, you should share your thoughts on what you think is best for your child and you should share your concerns and you're not just a passive participant in the meeting. I think it's important that parents know that it's overwhelming and it's a big meeting with lots of people who parents usually meet that day. But the IEP team wants the family to be a part of it too. And so I think just that knowledge of you are an expert in your child and you need to, you can go in there and you can say what your concerns are and and you don't have to feel like this is just happening around you. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I'm sure parents feel really empowered after learning that. I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. I think I've had some families who say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Or I didn't know that I could ask for something different or I didn't know I could take the IEP home to just sleep on it because my, you know, nervous system was like, you're in this state of arousal where you're stressed out because it's just uncomfortable type of setting, talking about your child and how they scored on these tests. And so it's okay to take it home and just sit with it and think on it. We all leave meetings sometimes or get off phone calls and think, oh, I meant to say this or I meant to do this. And it's okay to give yourself that space to have that time to think through those things. Yeah. Do you ever go with parents to an IEP as an advocate? I do. I like to go to meetings with families. I really like to point out that, you know, my loyalty and my job is to find the best option for you, for your child. And whether that's a general education setting or a separate setting in a special education classroom, we as a team can all work together to find that. And when I go in as an advocate or kind of a, I think of it also as like an educational consultant, 
you know, the school knows their system very well. The family knows their child very well. And then I like my role to be, let me help just as a bystander, really, and knowing a little bit of both, how can I just help be that neutral body to find what is best or to help support finding what is best for that child? Um, And sometimes parents also just like it when I come because they have this relationship with me now. And it's sometimes just that security blanket of, okay, here's someone who I trust. I know I trust them and that they know my child and they know me. And that can just even be a huge difference for families to feel comfortable and confident in those meetings too. It's just having that familiar face with them. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. If you liked this episode, I encourage you to share it with someone else who can benefit from it. By doing so, you'll help them feel supported and help us improve access to services worldwide. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Take care.